Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A warm welcome to Whitehall Sources. We are about to bring you inside analysis on UK politics in association with The Resident. Did you know that The Resident Covent Garden is the number one rated hotel on TripAdvisor out of nearly 1,200 options in London? Now, opinion pollsters would tell you that that sample size is enough to convince you to lend resident hotels your support the next time you elect to stay in London or Liverpool. Thanks for being here. Whitehall Sources starts now. Welcome to Whitehall Sources, episode two of the Rishi Sunak era. Um, our determination right now is to outlast Liz Truss. Here we are about two weeks into the podcast, so we're, we're doing all right, actually. I don't think we've had any major controversies. <laughs> we've not had to U-turn on anything, as things stand. Uh, what we want to do in this special episode is stop it and roll it. This is where we play you a part of political theatre, a speech, a bit of drama, something important and notable... And each of the three of us can stop the tape as we listen to it to analyse it and to offer some insight on what it is that we're hearing. You may remember we did this with Liz Truss's uh, press conference a few weeks ago. Remember that spectacularly lengthy and detailed and thorough press conference, uh, which was really when the wheels were tumbling away from her. Uh, Today we are doing it with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's first speech on the steps of Downing Street. This is a big moment. I suppose, actually, let's just put that in context, Kirsty. How big a moment is this? And perhaps it goes without saying, but just emphasise what you've got to do as a brand new Prime Minister in this first speech, really, to the nation. This is the defining moment of your uh, entire premiership. I think the uh, speech that Theresa May made on the steps of Downing Street when she became Prime Minister was framed and put in a couple of places around Downing Street to remind people um, of her central mission. Her central mission, obviously, was to fight burning injustices before, unfortunately, Brexit came along and and barrel-rolled its way through her primary purpose. The primary purpose for Rishi Sunak is to restore 
credibility, faith in the institution uh, of number 10 and the institution of government. It's also, the number one priority is to get the economy back on an even keel and help and support people through some very difficult months ahead. And those are the sort of, you know, it sets the tone. Um, so I think what he, what he what was looking to do was set out a tone where he talks about mm. trust, he talks about economic stability and credibility, and he also talks about party unity. So I think all those three things are what you see rolled out in this speech. And some of that, Oscar, is about picking up from where Liz Truss has left off as well, because that's something to consider for a new prime minister is... What is the legacy? Where are we at as a result of the previous Prime Minister? Well, I think it's often very helpful to have a narrative kind of wind in your sails as a new Prime Minister incoming. And he, despite not being elected by the people and, you know, some disgruntled Tory members uh, would say not even by the Tory membership. But that's really important. If you think back to, you know, uh, Boris Johnson had Brexit. He had that absolute kind of immovable you know wind in his sails when he when he rocked up at number 10 which is really really helpful uh for him and rishi and this is it's a tragedy but you know when you talk about liz truss's you know tenure the wind in his sails is kind of economic mm. collapse and he is seen as someone who's perfect the perfect antidote to that so in that sense it's quite helpful the narrative he hasn't is already set for him in a way, to bring in exactly as Kirsty said, that competency and calmness. And he's very good at that. He's, he's, you know, as we'll play the speech, but he's very good at specifically that type of speech. And again, it might be slightly traumatic in some ways, but it will hark back when people start seeing Rishi out and about again, talking, you know, soberly and uh, calmly and professionally. It will hark back to those COVID mm. days where, you know, he was in people's living rooms talking to them about, uh, you know, the furlough scheme, for example. And again, people, you know, they may not be conservatives by heart, but they will know in their heart of hearts that, you know, he, he was the, the primary politician behind securing a great deal of support that was needed at the time. So again, that's quite helpful, I think, for Rishi moving forward. I mean, something we talked about at number 10, actually, when we saw the, you know, the economic crisis that was loom- looming and has been slightly made worse, as we know in previous weeks, was doing press conferences. We, I'm not sure how often we were going to do them, but doing COVID-style press conferences on the economy. And it'll be interesting to see if that's picked up again. I, I, a part of me, my prediction would be that it will. And it might be you know, once every month, mm. maybe, but he will check in. He may have Hunt with him. He may have a, an economist with him. And they will talk about the measures the government are taking and reassuring people that despite the difficult time, you know, this is where we're at. We're flattening the curve of recession. <laughs> good. I think we may see a heart back to some of that. No, I really, really? do. That, that, that would be my prediction. Oh, that's really fascinating, actually. Okay, so just to understand then, as we dive into this, you will hear one of the three of us periodically, whenever we want to, jumping in and saying, stop it. We will analyse what we've just heard and then we will roll it and continue through the rest of the brand new Prime Minister's speech. Stand by. Here is Rishi Sunak. Good morning. Stop. <laughs> Kirsty Buchanan, straight in. Right, go Before on. you worry that I'm about to overanalyse good morning, <laughs> uh, I think the point that I was going to make before he gets going is... 
uh, a very important one about setting the tone. So before he returned from his audience with His Majesty the King, uh, Mel Stride, who is, um, has been at the forefront of uh, Rishi Sunak's campaign, uh, said to MPs and to aides, we don't want a welcoming party, if you like it, number 10 for him when he comes back to Downing Street. You usually see when a new Prime Minister comes in, all his loyal supporters all lined up at the end of Downing Street, all kind of applauding him in. The point that was being made there was, look, you know, this is not a time for celebration. This is a time to just set out our stall, state our purpose, and then get on with the business of delivering. You know, we are in very difficult economic circumstances. You know, we need to be able to set a tone that says, look, this is serious, we are credible, we are entirely focused, and this isn't about going, woohoo, our boy has done it. This is about saying... You know, we are here to deliver, to restore trust, to unite the party and to protect people through the tough, tough times ahead. Really, really valid point, actually. Right, let's get into uh, Rishi Sunak's speech, uh, where he does a little bit more, actually, of that contextualising. Let's roll it. I've just been to Buckingham Palace and accepted His Majesty the King's invitation to form a government in his name. It is only right to explain why I'm standing here as your new Prime Minister. Right now, our country is facing a profound economic crisis. The aftermath of COVID still lingers. Putin's war in Ukraine has destabilised energy markets and supply chains the world over. Stop it. I'm going to jump in there because I think just to build on what we were saying in terms of the seriousness of the situation, what he has outlined there actually is very similar to the messages that we kept getting from Liz Truss throughout her 44 days in office. And actually, when you consider that they are, you know, they're inheriting the same, principally the same problems, but the way they are dealing with them and going to deal with them in this case are probably actually going to be profoundly different. That's something to consider also because the economic crisis that he is inheriting, Rishi Sunak, has been made worse over the last few weeks by Liz Truss. But I just think that actually as those core foundations, it, it's actually a, a, a similar situation in terms of what they're up against. This is one of the most but profound it's... challenges they're going to have from a communications point of view in terms of winning back the electorate. Is exactly. you know, Look, Liz Truss was right. You know, The post-pandemic kind of supply crisis has seen inflation soar right across the world. Uh, the Ukraine uh, war, Putin's illegal war in Ukraine, uh, has created uh, you know, volatility in energy prices and caused the crisis that we now see in energy, which led to the need for a price guarantee to stabilise our bills. Um, so both of these things are true. The big challenge that you know, Rishi Sunak and his team are going to have is to explain to people, try to explain to people, where that truth ends and the truth of Liz Trust making it worse by creating the wrong policy at the wrong time, uh, you know, how you decouple the two of them. So in essence, what we've seen under the, the short but quite impactful and not in a good way Liz Trust premiership is people now conflating all of their economic problems with you know mismanagement, economic mismanagement by the previous administration. So how you decouple those and convince people that you know a lot of this is driven by 
external global forces and not gross conservative incompetence uh, is probably going to be one of the biggest common challenges they face in the months ahead. Let's rule it. I want to pay tribute to my predecessor, Liz Truss. She was not wrong to want to improve growth in this country. It is a noble aim. And I admired her restlessness to create change. But some mistakes were made. Not born of ill will or bad intentions. Quite the opposite, in fact. But mistakes nonetheless. And I have been elected... Stop. Go on, Oscar. Well, there's that very clear, <laughs> clear, clear line that he's, I think, tempting to draw in the sand on exactly what Kirsty um, was referring to earlier. You know, what I found really... That, that was really... I mean, you talk about, you know, how pointed uh, uh, lines are uh, in politics and how pointed a sentiment is. And that was so, so pointed. I mean, even the thanking her and, and, and the, the kind of the, um, the praise for her restlessness felt like, uh, <laughs> felt like a criticism. And I think what he has done, which is really interesting in the eyes of the electorate, that's, how I, that's where we're at now. I know we've been infighting for a long time and the Tory party have been a mess, but now all eyes are from the electorate onto the government and they should be aware of that and I think in those lines he is acutely aware of that and for me the, the line that he's drawing there is almost the party kind of restlessness and ideological economics is over and I've almost been drafted in not as a politician not as a Tory politician but as an economist I, I am absolutely almost neutrally in charge now because I know how to deliver a stable economy. Liz and her team, you know, listening to that back, I, I think would have been wincing. Well, I mean, look, he's the government's sound money guy, isn't he? He always has been. Um, uh, but look, the, to restore trust uh, starts with one thing, first and foremost. It starts with honesty and transparency. So I don't think this was pointed to be a dig. Actually, I was struck by how how generous he was being about it. Um, I think this is about just trying to be honest with people about the state we're in and why we got here. And honesty and transparency, you know, are fundamental to restoration of trust. Really fascinating. Actually, that's a really interesting discussion is, is you know, it was the somewhat of a, something of a drive-by shooting on Liz Truss and her reputation. Or actually, is this about, look, I'm up front with you. This is how it's been. And it's not how it's going to be. Yeah, mm, it's really interesting though. At least he didn't say I told you so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. He just about yeah, held he back. He could have just stood there and said, you know, I told you so, and then walked in the door. Uh, you email your thoughts on Rishi Sudak's first speech as well. The email address is hello at whitehallsources.com. Let's roll it. As leader of my party and your prime minister, in part, to fix them, and that work begins immediately. I will place economic stability and confidence at the heart of this government's agenda. This will mean difficult decisions to come. Stop it. Yeah, Stop. go on. So two very quick things yeah. on that. 
I remember we spoke on, I can't remember which episode it was now, but a previous podcast about Jeremy Hunt's media mm. round and austerity language coming back into British politics. That's a clear example of it right there. And I think the other thing that's quite interesting about that is Rishi using words like to bring confidence really, you know, back into really clever because we all know that Rishi, that work, you know, market confidence mm. is exactly what has already been associated with Rishi and that's why he's there. So he's almost setting his own KPI for how we move forward. Mark is, is something that is absolutely in his gift and that he's kind of already achieved mm. in some yeah. ways. So he's setting himself a key P KPI that he knows is in exactly the right lane for him, which is very, very clever. I also thought at this point, it struck me, I was writing this down, that he was, he was actually hardly really looking at his notes. He was kind of glancing at them, as you would maybe expect from a public speaker, but he was less tied to them than perhaps you might expect. And he was very much, he started kind of, he was looking around across all the cameras, and then he very much, um, around this point, started looking straight down the main camera, delivering it straight to me as a viewer. I wonder if the difference between today and what we saw yesterday when he accepted the uh, leadership um, and was got a fair amount of stick on Twitter for quite a robotic kind of <laughs> short delivery to the wrong camera uh, before he paused awkwardly. Robot Rishi, before he, <laughs> before he paused awkwardly and walked off. Um, uh, the, the difference, I think, is time. Mm. Uh, I think he, you know, probably had about, you know, a, a very short amount of time to A, write up a speech and B, deliver that to camera. And I, it feels also to me like that. There was some miscommunication and he thought that was a pre-record rather than you know mm. a sort of live statement. It, it had all those kind of, which is why you get a slightly weird pause and then you walk off because you, you know, you assume it's getting cut, right? Interesting. Um, so uh, I think it's time and having had the time to work on a speech, um, and to deliver it, you've seen actually what you normally see from Rishi, which is a good, strong, solid narrative uh, delivered well and in a compelling way. Uh, and that is, that is, I think, the entire difference between the two of them is, is simply one of time. So far. And he's done yeah, it before. They, well, and this before. is what he's about to go on and this say. Thing. This is the yeah, key exactly. thing. He's done this exactly. before. He just goes straight back into those COVID you know, briefing kind of headspace. He's, I mean, that, and that's why so many MPs, I think, wanted him in because he, he's literally done this before. The capacity, by the way, to, you know, to learn big chunks of a speech uh, and deliver it, you know, without looking at your notes or God help us, an auto cue, <laughs> uh, is one of the most underrated gifts just, of yes, a, uh, that yeah. Prime Minister has. Theresa May was very, very good at learning, you know, sometimes an entire speech uh, off bat, which when you think about the perma-crisis mode that number 10 was in. I think that, I think off memory, age might, you know, fellow age might wing me back and correct me on this one, but from memory, that marathon cabinet we had where we signed off on, yeah. on the deal, which went on for five, six hours, we kind of kept everybody in the room. She went off with uh, her senior advisors. They drafted a speech. We then kind of watched her deliver the speech. And I think she did the entire thing from memory. And it, she kind of knocked it out of a park. So, I mean, hats off to people that can, you know, remember this. I was watching Ian McKellen the other day on something or other, and he was saying that actors used to have to play 
you know, four or five different roles in the space of a week rather than doing a big, like, West End run. So, you know, just the ability to absorb and memorise is, 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 is quite a talent. Yeah, definitely. It just struck me that he wasn't, he wasn't as tied to his notes as you might imagine. Um, Oscar, you mentioned the familiarity of COVID. Let's roll it. But you saw me during COVID doing everything I could to protect people and businesses with schemes like furlough. There are always limits, more so now than ever. But I promise you this, I will bring that same compassion to the challenges we face today. The government I lead will not leave the next generation, your children and grandchildren, with a debt to settle that we were too weak to pay ourselves. Stop. Yeah, go on. Uh, a couple of points I wanted to, to pull up on there. Mm. One of the things, you know, you will hear the language over and over again. One of the things that we are hearing quite a lot is, is a profound economic crisis. It's not just, you know, you come in a garden economic crisis. This is, a you know, an economic crisis for a generation. But that is balanced up about this word, uh, compassion. Uh, Jeremy Hunt used it, now he's used it. This is a restoration of compassionate conservatism and this is code for, yes, there will be tough choices ahead, but we will do whatever we can to protect the most vulnerable in society. So we will target our help and support for those that need it most rather than these kind of blanket tax cuts that we had under Liz Trust where you grow a pie and everyone lives happily ever after eating cake, right? So so this is all about moving to a world of, you know, of compassionate conservatism and targeted tax cuts. The other point to make here about, you know, the generational fairness point, when people say about Rishi, oh, he's so rich, how could he possibly understand, you know? It's worth again pointing out the backstory and where this plays into the concept of the great British promise. His maternal grandfather, uh, grandmother sold her kind of wedding jewellery to, to move to Britain from, from Tanzania. Her daughter, you know, worked really hard at school, went to university as a first-generation immigrant and ended up meeting and marrying um, Rich's father. So and, and they ended up, she was a chemist and he was a, he was a doctor. Um, and they led a fairly standard, comfortable kind of middle-class existence. They had three incredibly bright kids. They're all kind of high achievers, by the way. Um, and you know, Rishi uh, was bright enough to, to go to Winchester. He fell slightly short of a full scholarship. His parents took two extra jobs on to meet the shortfall because they knew about you know the, the transformative power of a good education and its ability to you know send Rishi into a sort of different stratosphere. And thus it's come to pass. Now, you know, we can't all go to Winchester and be Wickhamists, fine. But there's two things about this. You know, one, it's about, you know, a core of, you know, the aspiration nation, if you like, the transformative power of education. But actually, the thing that has eluded this generation, which is the, the great British promise has been broken, you know, Theresa May used to talk about it, Ed Miliband used to talk about it, the idea that if you work hard and get on, you can guarantee your children will have a better standard of life than you had. That's gone uh, for a multiplicity of reasons, which is a whole other you know, episode in its own right. 
And and the challenge for any incoming government is how do you restore that? How do you make hard work and endeavour pay for people when it doesn't seem to do the things that it used to, you know, from my parents' generation or my parents' parents' generation, that they could give their kids a better standard of life? I want to pay particular attention to the next section of the speech as well because there are words in here that have more often than not been used recently over the last period of time as a as a negative i.e things that have been lacking or have been difficult and have been challenges for the conservative government let's roll it i will unite our country not with words but with action i will work day in and day out to deliver for you this government will have integrity, professionalism and accountability at every level. Trust is earned and I will earn yours. Stop it because I just want to highlight the next sentence and then I am going to stop it again. Let's roll it. I will always be grateful to Boris Johnson for his incredible achievements as Prime Minister and I treasure his warmth and generosity of spirit. Stop it. Oscar, we went from this government will have integrity, professionalism and accountability at every level to a mention of Boris Johnson. It's just an observation. Just very quickly, when you stop, you, when you say stop it, Callum, it's very flirty. <laughs> it's kind of like, stop it, stop it. I'm always on a charm offensive. Sorry, yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> stop it. Back to the issues at hand. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a two-parter there, isn't there? There's a, again, he's trying to break from uh, a government that was seen to be uh, concerned with issues that the normal, uh, you know, unpoliticos of the world uh, w- just felt completely betrayed on. You know, and that of course includes things like party gay mm. and and just you know controversies that that did crop up from time to time for sure. So he's breaking away from that, and he's breaking away from that not for the purest of reasons in some ways. I would say you know because a lot of his detractors, and I'm sure Labour will come at him with this if they don't get better lines together on him. You know he was implicated in some of that. You know he got a fine uh, from the police and a very harsh one, I have to say, kind of r- ridiculously so. But nonetheless. You know, a lot of those Labour MPs will, you know, hammer that home to their constituents, I'm sure, over the coming weeks and months. You know, don't forget, you know, he was part of that administration as much as he may want to break from it. I think the other thing, though, is the difference between how he spoke well uh, of Liz at the start of his speech and the tone of which he speaks of Boris Johnson. There is a real difference there. You actually sense there was a genuine um that he he was genuinely grateful to the work boris boris did in in his time and and don't forget you know boris made him chancellor and don't forget together you know they they did for the for the vast majority they worked real you know real kind of really well together on some huge huge mm. issues i cannot imagine i cannot imagine the decisions that were being having that they were having to make during covid and by and large they made the they made the same one and they made it clearly and they made it together. Um, I do hope the integrity 
there's a and this is a, I, I'd throw this back to Kirsty actually, and maybe I'm a a result of a government uh, that got these things wrong, and that's why I'm about to say what I'm about to say. But I do think you set yourself up for a fall in politics when you try and go kind of cleaner than clean, whiter than white, because inevitably. Inevitably, because of just the, the pace of things these days and just how politics goes, there will be controversy and there will be blots on the copybook. And if you set yourself that bar of, you know, the, the kind of, I'm a saint, I, you know, nothing will go, you know, awry on my watch. And if it does, I will always respond, you know, mm -hmm. purely and as, as I should. Sometimes things don't work out like that. And that really nearly got Keir Starmer on Beergate, for example. Uh, and I just wonder if there's a, a slight danger there in, in some ways. Well, I mean, it comes back to the point that we've said before in this programme, doesn't it? The leader sets the tone. Yeah. Uh, and the tone he's setting here is, you know, trust is fundamental. The restoration of trust is fundamental. And you'll have to judge it not by what I say, but what happens and what we do. And, you know, we shall see is the, is the answer to that. Let's uh, continue because the next bit of the speech is all about that issue that was lurking over Liz Truss. It's about mandate. It's something that Rishi Sunak addressed directly. So let's roll it. And I know he would agree that the mandate my party earned in 2019 is not the sole property of any one individual. It is a mandate that belongs to and unites all of us. And the heart of that mandate is our manifesto. Stop it. Just a really interesting way to get through this speech, I think, to, to throw it back to 2019. Boris Johnson's electoral success there, the Conservative Party's electoral success there, and to, and to sort of pin the electorate's mm, hopes or expectations at least on that manifesto, and and that is immediately him taking a taking a swipe at those who critiqued Liz Truss for not having a mandate. Just just really quickly on that, from the you know the, the Boris end of things, you know he he he's acknowledging he skillfully gets through that I think of the, this kind of this, the Boris squatting toad thing that is still I think will fade, um, but that has dominated British politics for so long. In that, you know, the, the elephant in the room there a little bit is that the 2019 majority that was delivered was, I mean, whichever way you look at it, I'm sorry, you know, was Boris's. It just was. Like, it, it just was. He was the only person. Why, Nadine? Calm down. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I'm happy to talk about his faults. He's a complex guy. And, and actually, I'm going to go on to say, Rishi does have a stake in this, to be fair to him, that Liz could not, could not, you know, get together anything plausible on. Um, but that, that, that red wall, that the whole kind of redistribution of what a Conservative voter was, it was Brexit, mm. but the messenger, and the only guy in some ways he could sell it so well, was Boris. Having said that, as we've spoken about on previous podcasts, Rishi is, it's so lazy when people say, oh, Rishi, the red wall's gone now. There's no way Rishi can hold that. Not true. Rishi's very popular in some of those communities for reasons we've discussed. Um, so it's just an interesting way of kind of distancing yourself, but also having, I think, even if you don't want to, acknowledge that that 2019 election victory was, was, was Boris. Kirsty, crucially, does he do enough 
to sort of to, to tie himself to that and to, to try to instill in viewers' minds that he is, I guess, in inverted commas, allowed to be there. That democratically, this is this is a good thing. Well, again, I mean, we shall see in the in the weeks ahead whether you know whether that is translated into the polls. I mean, this is a kind of dual Yabu sucks moment here, isn't it? In, in part, it's to the Boris Johnson diehards that go, it's big dog's victory. It's it's not the victory of the manifesto. Uh, sorry, I love uh, these moments on this podcast. But also, it's it's the point to Labour. Look, you know, Labour will between now. And the next general election, which I, you know, allowing for unforeseen events, will will probably be in 2024. Will every single day say that this government has no mandate and that we require a general election? They didn't say this in 2000 and whatever when Gordon Brown uh, moved and became the prime minister and taking over from from Tony Blair. They said this every single day with Theresa May for much the same kind of reason until we, you know, uh, foolishly agreed and had, had a general election which didn't work out so well for us. Um, so, look, you know, it, it comes back to the parliamentary democracy point. A government is elected to deliver on a manifesto. We don't have a presidential system. He may dress a little bit in his yeah. spare time like Macron, but he's not Macron. It's not that kind of system. You know, he's he goes on in the speech to talk about key parts of the Boris Johnson manifesto around levelling up. That is what he will promise to deliver. It's an extension of the Boris legacy. It's not Liz Truss who kind of jumped all of that and said, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to do it badly. Um, It's none of that. Um, It's about getting back to the mandate that rests with the manifesto. It would be great to get... I know we had Tom Hamilton on the podcast uh the other week and it was so good to get that Labour perspective because the whole mandate election issue I think causes headaches for the Labour Party because I genuinely believe in it of course they're calling for it constantly when they do their media rounds the Daily Mirror you know general election now front page but my suspicion is that actually people have had enough of politics they've had enough of you know, soapboxes, and they've had enough of hustings, they've had enough of this, enough of that. They've got pressing issues that they just want sorted out and they don't care if it's blue or red that does it. And actually, I think Labour don't want to fall into the trap of whilst Rishi will hope, uh, you know, to get on with the job at hand and sorting out the economy and steering us through this time, of looking shrill. And actually, they're the ones doing the politicking. they they, they really got to be careful on that trap. I it's think. a really good point, actually. You know, and, and added to that, there's a kind of impotency to it. So you're not just a man shouting at the buses. Uh, exactly. You're also, you're an impotent man shouting at the buses because, you know, every day you say there's a general election and the government say no, you know, you look weaker and weaker and weaker, not stronger. Really good point. And I should say that on our regular Thursday episodes, which is when this podcast is actually supposed to happen, there's just been so much going on that we've kind of reacted to it as it's gone along. On our Thursday episodes as part of Checkers and Balances, which is our very cleverly named feature where we'll get opposition advisors in to provide checks and balances, uh, we will hear from opposition advisors. And that will be so important as we go through this next phase, as you've highlighted. Uh, Right, let's get on with Rishi's speech, uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who, remember, he was talking about the mandate, the 2019 manifesto, and here he gives a bit more detail. Let's roll it. I will deliver on its promise a stronger NHS, better schools, safer streets, 
control of our borders, protecting our environment, supporting our armed forces, levelling up and building an economy that embraces the opportunities of Brexit, where businesses invest, innovate and create jobs. Stop it. And I just want to draw a divide between what we've been talking about there, manifesto, mandate, what it means, all those priorities, and what now comes next, which I think addresses concerns that we've talked about a bit in this episode, and certainly in our previous episode, which you should listen to if you've not already, which is another kind of labour attack line against Rishi Sunak, which is about his relatability. Can he actually access how people are feeling because he is so wealthy, because of the life he's had, does that put him at a disadvantage? And that's something he now goes on to address. Let's roll it. I understand how difficult this moment is. After the billions of pounds it cost us to combat COVID, after all the dislocation that caused, in the midst of a terrible war that must be seen successfully to its conclusions, I fully appreciate how hard things are. And I understand too that I have work to do to restore trust after all that has happened. All I can say is that I am not daunted. I know the high office I have accepted and I hope to live up to its demands. Let's stop it there. I think some interesting stuff. Yeah, Oscar, you want to jump in? Really quick. I don't want to come across too kind of gushing about it, but that, I mean, because we haven't had a lot of it recently. That there was that was quite powerful, mm. actually, some of that. Mo- in a moving way, you mean? Well, well it was just really nice to hear a, a prime minister and a, a politician standing there and speaking so clearly and so well. <laughs> like, you, you, we were in the presence of a talented uh, politician there and actually really looking into the eyes of his detractors exactly for the reasons you discussed, Callum, those people who believe, oh, because he's from a certain background, he can never understand what we're going through. And really just head on tackling that. And I know this is more a dramatic point more than the actual language necessarily. But if you didn't watch it, watch it. But even just listening to it, this is like the performance art sometimes that is important in politics because it's, it's, it's how you carry a message. It, it's performed mm. well. It feel, It's the, the one-to-one warmth that... You know, we talked about in the previous podcast that he makes you feel when you're in his company. You know, that was a good example of it. It feels real. It, you feel the passion there. I know this. I'm not this particularly intelligent points no, I'm they're making. Good. They're, they're quite obvious, but sometimes that's so important in politics, and sometimes it's yeah. been missing. There's a couple of other points to add to that. Uh, in one sentence, he manages to convey both strength of character and resilience and humility. So he says, you know, I am not daunted by the challenge. And bear in mind that this guy is 42 years old. Mm. Um, uh, But he says, I hope to live up to its demands, the demands of the high office. And, you know, to be able to combine strength and humility in one sentence is uh, some pretty decent speech writing going on there. Does he sound like Tony Blair? Um. Go on, Kirsty. Uh, no, I, I, me and Callum have discussed this already, and I, I, look, I'm not convinced by this mm. um, at all. 
and I and I think he will want to sound like his own man. But I mean, in as much as you're trying to get uh, empathy, strength, humility, and a sense of clear purpose, uh, as all good centrist politicians should, uh, then I suppose yes. But otherwise, I'm struggling to hear what Callum hears. I think it's what for me is that it's the conviction, the determination. Yeah. The clarity of thought, actually, these are clear sentences. They are not political sentences. They, I get them. I know what he's talking about. It's not some weird ideological merry-go-round. I understand what's going on here. And I think there's, for me, in this delivery, definitely more so than the robot speech on Monday, but in this delivery, <laughs> there is just a presence that he has that he has brought and from and maybe it's unfair to skip out everyone since Tony Blair in that regard, but it, in my mind it was it was Tony Blair esque where he commanded it in that prime ministerial way. Well, I think I think because I would always have said my politics was that of New Labour. My mum and dad are proper Corbynistas. I have to add, so they're very, <laughs> as I said, disappointed about how this has all gone for them. But so, but that is, I would say, a lot where my politics aligned. And I think what Blair could do really powerfully that I think Rishi showed today. My God, there's a long old way to go to see if he can maintain it when the real, you know, the real issues start flying at him day to day. But is conveying a really, really serious issue and moment in a way that makes people feel like things are going to be okay. Mm. And that's really rare. I mean, Boris was brilliant when times were good, I think, of kind of latching onto that and inflaming it and, 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 and really getting people excited about stuff. Again, a very rare quality. This is a different one that I think Rishi has, and maybe arguably it's the one that we, we, we most need right there now. There is another, sorry, just to jump in, there is another point here um, which we've skipped over, which is probably worth just hat-tipping, which is the references to Brexit. I mean, look, it doesn't float my boat, but you know, it is worth reminding people that you know, uh, Rishi Sunak voted for Brexit, believed in Brexit, voted for Brexit when David Cameron told him it would wreck and ruin his career. Um, so he didn't write two essays and decide which one sounded more convincing. Uh, he was always a true believer, um, even though he might dress like a Remainer, whatever that means. Um, and so actually, there's very interesting references also around this part of the speech about the Brexit dividend and getting back to that. And I think one of the things that we will see, uh, the scale of it is interesting and in how much we see it, but kind of the desire to rip up some of that EU red tape that came and, you know, and, and free up some of the supply side, which is seen to be choking investment, innovation and growth in this country. And so we reach the conclusion then of Prime Minister Sunak's first speech on the steps of Downing Street. Let's roll it. But when the opportunity to serve comes along, you cannot question the moment, only your willingness. So I stand here before you, ready to lead our country into the future, to put your needs above politics, to reach out and build a government that represents the very best traditions of my party. Together, we can achieve incredible things. We will create a future worthy of the sacrifices so many have made. 
and fill tomorrow and every day thereafter with hope. Thank you. And here endeth the speech. That always good to end on a note of hope. Boom, boom. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's one other thing that we haven't uh, actually touched on, mm. which I think is important. Um, uh, he is not only very young; he's Britain's first uh, British Asian Prime Minister. Um, you know, people can say that doesn't matter. It matters hugely, I think, and there are millions of British Asian families now that can, you know, look at the very highest offices of land and see uh, strong, powerful, decent representation. Um, And I think that is a credit to the Conservative Party to have had three female Prime Ministers um, and now uh, the first Prime Minister of colour. I think that is a significant moment and should not uh, go unmentioned. Of all the, I couldn't agree more, and of all the politicians I've seen on the airwaves, the politician that has articulated articulated that the best is Wes Streeting on Newsnight. You know, obviously he was on there to attack the government, the direction that he sees the Conservative Party going, you know, austerity, you know, calling for a general election, but he absolutely purposefully created a moment for himself to say, I have had constituents say... I am now looking at a prime minister who looks like me. And that is a genuinely brilliant thing for this country and what it means. And I, I just, I, when, I, when I saw Wes, you know, creating a moment to, 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 to speak to that point, one, it showed his talent as a politician and his kind of understanding of, of people and humility. Um, and again, I, I found that quite moving that it got that kind of cross-party support, as it should. A good place then to end our special episode of Stop It and Roll It on Whitehall Sources as we analysed Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's first speech on the steps of Downing Street. And it is worth mentioning for those of you who are just discovering Whitehall Sources, thank you for being here. Our regular schedule, we think, will now resume, which is a weekly episode for you every single Thursday. I mean, (laughs) I know. I mean, the (laughs) case... Honestly, the last couple of weeks, we should have done two episodes and you have just finished listening to what I think will be episode seven. So good job. Have a little listen back, catch up on what you've missed, and we will speak to you weekly on Thursdays from here on out, all being well. Uh, You can find us on social media, of course, just search for Whitehall Sources or email anytime. The email address is hello at whitehallsources.com and we will speak to you soon. We are so glad to be here and we are so grateful for our wonderful sponsor. Whitehall Sources is brought to you in association with Resident Hotels. Their fantastic team of resident insiders are waiting for you at their ideal city centre locations in London and Liverpool. The locations are hand-picked. Insiders are specifically trained to give you all the info you could possibly need for your stay, including secret tips and tricks of the local neighbourhood, They sound a bit like sources, you might say. It's magic moments galore during your stay. And by the way, TripAdvisor backs us up on this. The resident hotel Liverpool is number one. Covent Garden in London is number one. Kensington, Soho and Victoria in London are all in the top 30. Here's what Nicholas says in his review. We find our room very spacious 
The Nespresso machine and mini fridge was a lifesaver, as I really need my morning coffee with real milk to get going. The staff were very friendly and helpful. Sold. Click residenthotels.com to book your stay at one of the resident hotels, making Whitehall sources possible. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 